0: This is the word of the Lord. Uh, some time ago, I used, to, uh, I used to play the bass guitar for a number of bands, one of them was a reggae band. I don't listen to a lot of reggae, but it, it paid for my electric bill, so I did it when I needed to. And I remember that first time that I, I played a show with this particular band, didn't know anything about reggae, but I listened to some Damien Marley, especially when he came to the Santa Barbara Bowl right where I lived. And all I remember was the droning, massive bass sounds emanating from from the park. So for that first show, I remember, I'll just play as many notes as I can. That seems to be the style of the music. I'll just play as many notes as I can uh, and call it a wrap. And I remember after that show, the band leader pulled me aside and he said, you know, it's not just about the notes that you're playing. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, space is music space is music sometimes it's the notes you don't play that make the rest of the music beautiful it's the spaces in between that allows the rest of the music to breathe and i'll never forget that especially today after reading this text because we can read the gospels in kind of the same way Uh, when i read the gospels i see all the action i see all of the things that jesus accomplishes I see all of his words, his famous statements. I see his ministry and his activity and the healings and the casting out of demons. I see action and production. All good things, but sometimes it's the notes that Jesus doesn't play that are sometimes most significant. In other words, it's the notes or the actions that he doesn't do. That I failed to notice what I want to focus our attention on this morning and this is my first point is we see even in Jesus Christ the king of the universe the son of God the savior of the world even in him I need to slow down and replenish In verse 35, it says rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Now, You have to remember that this is against the backdrop of what we just read last week. One of the busiest seasons of ministry up until this point. What we saw last week is Jesus healing the sick, casting out demons. And as a result of that, the entire city then came to his doorstep. He's famous now. And if it were any of us, well, if it were me, I would probably capitalize on that much momentum and do more. I'd set up a PR booth and a clinic in the corner, and I'd start to do more activity and more just to kind of capitalize off of that momentum. What he does in verse 35 is against the backdrop of a busy season. It doesn't make sense. That as the whole city is coming to his door to receive healing, Jesus gets up early, maybe four, five in the morning, I don't know, while it was still dark, Mark says, and he departs. He leaves the scene and he goes to a desolate place where he can pray. There's a lot of things to talk about here. The one I want to talk about is the need to replenish. Even the Son of God needs times to replenish. And this is so foreign. I think, to the way that I'd normally think. I remember the first time I read this verse, it blew my mind. In fact, I needed someone in my life to stop me and to show me the significance of a verse where Jesus stops doing things because it went against everything I had been taught from the corporate world to education to even the church, and that is this, produce. Produce something. And even from an early age, I'd learned intuitively, unconsciously, that my work will show my worth. But here we see Jesus stopping effective ministry, effective activity, results, to be with his Father. Perhaps it's because his worth was what his work emerged from. Whereas I might say, my work shows my worth. Perhaps Jesus would say, my worth gives way to my work. In verse 11, it was the father after all who said, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. How interesting that God makes that declaration of his son before Jesus had any opportunity to do anything. I just love you. I just love you. Sometimes it's the notes you don't play that matter the most. I've often brought this up from time to time that Mark, of all the gospel writers, seems to be in a hurry. It's the shortest gospel. He leaves out all of the the filler material that Matthew and Luke include, and he keeps using what I think is one of his favorite words, immediately, depending on who you ask. He says this 53 times in the uh excuse me uh 33 times in the gospel of mark in other words he's in a hurry to get to the action he wants to get you to jesus life to his uh to the cross to the resurrection he even skips the birth do you believe that mark skips the birth of jesus luke includes it matthew includes it but mark is like no let's get to the action and yet even mark seems to understand that there's places in Jesus' life where he just stops to pray. It's as if even Mark, in in all of his hurrying and rushing, still sees fit to include these moments. The disciples, too. Has it ever occurred to you, ever dawned on you, that uh, when the disciples sit down around a, a circle to ask Jesus, hey, teach us something, the one thing they ask is teach us to pray. They don't ask things that I probably would ask, like, hey, that resurrection thing that you pulled off, that was awesome. Teach me. Teach me how to cast out demons. Teach me how to do the multiplying of the bread thing. You know, teach me those things. And maybe he did. But the one recorded episode in the Bible where we have the disciples asking him, they have one thing to ask. They're like, teach me the thing that you did where you're just with your father. I have to take that to mean that they must have seen something in his life that was so unique, so powerful. And they made the connection that it it came from those moments where Jesus slowed down to commune with his father. Sometimes it's the notes you don't play that matter the most. And this is hard to do, right? It's hard to stop. Because there is this pressure to keep going. And we see that in the life of Jesus. Verse 36 and 37, it says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Hey, everyone's looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. Doesn't life ever feel exactly like that for some of us sometimes? Though not in a relationally replenishing way. And you can fill in the blank, for Jesus it was everyone, but perhaps for you, maybe it's your, your weekly errands are looking for you. The laundry is looking for you. Your job responsibilities are looking for you. Your children's report card during remote learning as you're trying to balance your job is looking for you. Your friends are looking for you. Other people's expectations are looking for you. Your own expectations for yourself are looking for you. Your three-year plan is looking for you. Where you thought you would be at this moment in your life is looking for you. Your desire to salvage 2020 in 2021 is looking for you. Just an accumulation of pressure and expectations. Just like in Jesus' day, so it is in ours. The demands are high but our ability to give is low. Perhaps you feel tired and depleted. And I want to introduce to you perhaps one of the most powerful words you'll ever say in moments like this. No. Say it with me. No. I think of All the people in the world this word is probably the hardest for Christians to say because we're so nice of all the things that we feel pressured to do and to to perform and to accomplish being nice is one of them and so no feels almost unchristian for us to turn something down to turn something away to protect or to guard but to that I would say what would Jesus do And we don't even have to ask that question because we have an account of what Jesus actually did. He said no. I want to read to you verse 38 in our text. After Simon and the disciples looked for him saying, Everybody is looking for you. The demands are waiting, Jesus. He says, Let's go to the next town. So that I can preach there also for that is why I came out. Now in the CLT version of the Bible, the Chris Lazo translation, he's basically saying, no, I ain't got time for that. I have big priorities and I need to get to those too. Now this is what the pastor Pete Scazzaro would later call the gift of limits. What we see right here in the spaces between the notes that Jesus is playing is the gift of limits those God-given barriers where even the Son of God says, I'm not going to do this. And this is built into us naturally. There's just things that that God, when he created us in his image, just can't do. Some of them are obvious, right? One of my limits is I'll never probably be six feet tall, no matter how hard I pray. I probably won't live to 137 years old limits. I probably can't eat junk food for the next 50 years without some kind of repercussions, limits. There's obvious limits like that, physical limits, but there's also spiritual limits too, emotional limits, and we don't need to look very far other than the life of Jesus to see even God practicing them, Notice that Jesus, even though he could, he didn't set up a clinic in Capernaum. He didn't heal every leper in town that night. He didn't accept every dinner invitation that came his way. He didn't start a nonprofit organization. He didn't run for political office. He didn't speak out on every social issue. He didn't keep up with all the trending news. He didn't answer every Facebook comment. Jesus had the gift of limits. Now, all of those things, except for the last one, are good things. This isn't saying that we shouldn't do those things. It is saying that Jesus had something deeper than the urgent need of the moment that was driving him, and that's what informed what he did. He had a mission. And if Jesus had limits, being the son of God, that means that you also don't have to do everything. You don't have to be everywhere. You don't have to fix everyone. And sometimes the music is in the, in the notes that you don't play. It's in the times that you say no to something that feels urgent in order to say yes to something that's important. What are the notes that Jesus played? Well, in John chapter five, verse 19, Jesus says that he only does what the Father tells him to do. He only does what the Father sent him to do. He had this overriding, important mission that governed all the little things that he did down on earth. And sometimes to hear the Father, it seems, based on his life, that he had to say no to some stuff. In fact, he had to remove himself from the noise, from Capernaum. From the crowds, even from his disciples, to recalibrate himself with his father. The late uh, habit specialist and time management specialist, Stephen Covey, was famous for teaching this idea that we need to make room for the important before the urgent crowd out the important. And in his mind, you know, we all have both of these things. The important stuff are the things that we want to do, things that we know will have the longest lasting impression on our lives and other people's lives, but they're not urgent. We don't need to do them right now. It's things like devoting our time to an important relationship or getting started on a project that might take a year. It might be doing those steps to get our dreams in place doing the hard things that's needed for real long-lasting relationship and community. That's important. Perhaps you can fill in your own blanks. But then there's urgent things, like your email inbox, the bills, the errands, the necessary stuff that we gotta do to survive, but that never stop accumulating. And those things aren't important, but they're urgent, meaning we gotta do them now. And they're so, they're so prevalent. And they feel so urgent that they often take up all the space that we have to do the things that we know we want to do. What I love about the life of Jesus is that he seems to resist this busyness mentality. And perhaps we can take from him the permission to do the same that even though there's a long list of shoulds that are overwhelming, maybe there's a short list of wants, the desires of your heart that God has put there that he wants to carve out space in your life for. See, I think this year we have the same problem they did, but with a different face. You could argue that we're not actually that busy. We actually have more time than we've ever had. But something still feels wrong, doesn't it? A lot of us wouldn't say that with the lack of schedules and with the lack of activity that we somehow feel replenished. I'll never forget sitting down on the couch talking to my wife, Brianna, and she said at one point, she said, I I don't have a schedule, There's no work, there's less school, there's nothing to do, and there's nowhere to be, there's no one to be around, yet why do I feel busier than I've ever felt in my life? Why do I feel more exhausted than I've ever felt in my life? Why does it feel like there's no end in sight? Do you ever feel that way? Perhaps it's because our schedules aren't necessarily busy but our minds are. Our stresses, our worries. Maybe we're depleted trying to fix everything including ourselves, and even when we don't have anything to do, our minds are racing, filled with what we ought to do. The notes we should be playing. And we wonder why we're so tired. I want you to consider a different way by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who pulls away from the noise not to scroll on Instagram but to stop, to slow down and to be present with his Father. And he doesn't just do that here in Mark chapter 1. He does this at every turning point in his life. This is a pattern. It's a theme. Matthew chapter 14, he goes to a desolate place in response to the tragic news that John the Baptist, his cousin, died. He goes to a desolate place in order to pray with the Father, Matthew 14, Luke chapter 5. He goes away to a desolate place by himself in company with his closest companion. So not really by himself, but kind of by himself. Right here we see uh, amid the demands of ministry, he goes away to be by himself and the Father. He goes away to prepare for ministry, Mark chapter 1, verse 12. He goes away in seeking guidance for making major decisions. He goes away to be with the Father to elude the crowd's attempts to control the events of his life. He's always taking these little pauses in his life and in the patterns of his schedule to be with the Father. This is a complete shift sometimes in the way that I think. I'm so used to just being productive, getting things done, seeing results, having an outcome, that I even read this text sometimes. Oh, he went away and he prayed as something I'm supposed to do and do very well and very spiritually with results at the end. But if I were to calm down and shed some of that busyness, desire to perform, need to perform, to get things done, to make my life seem worthwhile. I might notice that all throughout the Bible, even when people pray, there's sometimes moments where they say nothing. When it says that he went to a desolate place, that word desolate can mean wilderness. In this context, it simply means solitary, solitude. It can also mean uninhabited. Mark's just saying he went away to be alone. Now, if you're like me, you can be alone and still busy. One of my friends, a fellow extrovert said, you know, solitude and silence is easy for you, bro. You love sitting on the couch by yourself reading books. But for me, I love relationships. I need to be out, social. So solitude probably works for people like you but not for me. I said to him, you know, you might be loud with your words, but I'm loud with my thoughts. Even when I'm alone, I still spend that time figuring out all the things I need to get done. Consuming media, binging Netflix, worrying about tomorrow, putting my checklist together. Real solitude's hard for everybody because real solitude means slowing down to be present with God. I love how the psalmist describes it. He says in Psalm 62 verse 1, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Now you might be saying, Chris, this all sounds very mystical and spiritual and wonderful. And I'm sure that Getting away a few times to be with God works for Jesus. Sounds like he had a really chill lifestyle by the pond of Galilee as a rabbi, walking from house to house. But I have a, you know, I have a job, bro. I have things I need to get done. I've got pressures mounted. I have to pay the bills. All of those things are real, and that's true. But I'm. Pretty sure Jesus had a long checklist, too. Let's just go through some of his things. Save the world, conquer the devil, forgive the sins of billions of people, die on the cross excruciatingly, pull off his own resurrection, somehow prepare a dozen clumsy illiterate outcasts to take over his mission in the process and do all of this in three and a half years. Busy. And yet this dude still stops to find fuel from his father. It's like before he even started, he knew what was going to sustain him for something this intense. Our life is intense. Your life is intense. And it doesn't seem like our external world, our environment has adjusted to make our lives more convenient for that. It also seems like Jesus doesn't depend on his external world. He depends on an internal one and constantly carves out time to stop being so active and to get alone with the Father, to find fuel with God. And that fuel seems to come from the notes that he doesn't play. Sometimes our relationship with God flows from how successful we are Meaning, okay, I've been to church this many times in a row. I did this good deed for this person. I read my Bible several times. I'm doing good. I feel closer to God. But Jesus' success seemed to flow from his relationship with God. He already knew that he was beloved by God regardless of what happened. And out of that seemed to overflow his ministry and his activity. Jesus knew where the power came from, and this is my last point, the power of limits. The first point was, we have a need to replenish. Second point is, there's this pressure to keep going, but third, there's a power in God-given limits. It says in Mark chapter one, verse 39, that after this time alone, he went throughout all of Galilee preaching in their synagogues. Everybody, cover your head. Okay, God is with us. Everybody okay? He went throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Every time God, uh, Jesus, is alone with the Father, it's always preceded by some incredible activity where the darkness is pushed back, where relationships are deepened, and where joy abounds that is the litmus test for being alone with god in other words withdrawing to be with god should lead to richer relationships and more sustained activity and so if you find yourself withdrawing from your church community and practices and not returning to them at some point with deeper love and deeper connection there might be something before that that's gone wrong Healthy limits lead to deep connection, not isolation. Healthy limits lead to vibrant activity, not apathy. And so if we find ourselves veering towards isolation and apathy, this isn't a moment to feel shame over that, but to allow the Holy Spirit to diagnose what's wrong. And you know, Maybe what's wrong is we're just tired. And I just want to be honest. I, I I know this is a rhetorical question, but is anyone here tired? Physically, spiritually, emotionally? And to make matters worse, do you ever feel tired, but then you look at what you're not doing and feel like you shouldn't feel tired about what you're doing, so now you don't just feel tired, you now feel shame that you feel tired. If there's anything I could leave you with this morning, it's the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world, which also means that you don't have to be. You don't have to save the world. And I want to invite you this morning to begin asking God. So I ask uh, Robert and the rest of the team to come up here. God, what are the notes that you don't want me to play? Where does there need to be space in my life for you to speak and to move? And if that's too abstract for you, let me give you some tangible, concrete, specific questions to ask as we respond in song. One is look at your priorities, the important things, and ask, what's most important right now for me? What would God say to me is most important right now? What can I give my attention to? And you might be surprised at the answer. Maybe for some of you, it's just soul care. Maybe it's just taking care of your soul. For others, maybe it's a relationship that's starting to dwindle. Because of the last year, through all that relational isolation, maybe God is bringing your attention to that relationship. Maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a hobby. Honestly, maybe God is saying to some of you right now, you know what, you've done plenty for me. You just need to go surfing today. Just need to hit the gym and get your body moving. Just take a walk on State Street. Like Some of you are laughing at that because you're like, that is absurd. That's too fun. But the Gospel of Luke says, if our fathers, when we ask them for a piece of bread, would give us a piece of bread, because that's like a dad thing to do, they wouldn't give us a snake. The Gospel writer Luke says, if our dads even though they're sinful and they make mistakes and they disappoint us, still give us good things, how much more likely is our Father in heaven to give us good things when we ask? Do you believe in your heart that God loves you and cares about you, and he wants you to experience joy even when joy seems to be impossible right now? That he doesn't need you to save the world. He first of all wants to commune with you And to show you his loving kindness. And he created you just for such things. And do you believe today that maybe God, when you asked such a bold, daring question, like, what would you have me do right now? He would simply say, have fun today. And would you believe him? For some of you, maybe it's devotion. Maybe you haven't spent a lot of time with God and he's beckoning you back. Not from shame or guilt, but because he misses you. First question is priorities, what's most important right now. The second question is limits. Because if you're going to make room for that which is important, it's going to mean you got to say no to something. And chances are, the things that we say no to are probably not bad things. They're probably good things. Our life is probably crammed with a lot of good things, and we just don't have the space for the great things. So what is God calling you to simplify? What is he calling you to say no to? Thirdly, what's prayer gonna look like for you in this season? Have you overcomplicated it? Have you made it about performing with your words and saying all the right words and showing up in the right way and being prepared in the right way when maybe God just wants to know you and wants you to know him? What's most important right now? What are you gonna say no to to make space for the important? And how can you intentionally connect with God in prayer in the midst of it? We're gonna respond through singing, lifting up the name of of God and Jesus Christ in our midst. And speaking of prayer, uh, just like we did last week, uh, there will be people with lanyards over by that white minivan. Uh, who are available to pray for you. If there's just some burdens in your life that you don't know what to deal with, we'd love to pray for you in that regard. Let's spend the next few minutes pressing into a God who loves you, gave his life for you, died for you, rose again, and wants to commune with you. Amen? Let's do it.